Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses, And Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, (laughs) it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them. And they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This this, this is my chosen, 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 son, son. Listen, listen, listen to him, 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 him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. This is a wonderful Gospel that I am really excited to share today And I would like to begin by pointing out 
something that probably many of you are very familiar with. The Native Americans have a great tradition of what they call a vision quest. A vision quest is something where these Native Americans will go out into the wilderness or go out into the desert, or go out to the mountain and spend some time trying to see what their life is all about, see what the Great Spirit wants to reveal to them, and then they come back with that enriched vision as a direction for their life. There's a great story that accompanies this vision quest about a young tribe that was looking for the selection of a new leader for their tribe. And as the tribal leaders came together, they sent the young men out for this vision quest to return with some kind of symbol that would indicate the type of leadership that they could potentially offer their people. And after some hours had passed, one young brave returned with a buffalo that he had single-handedly killed and slaughtered and returned as a symbol of courage for which he would offer that gift and talent to the tribe. But more so, it represented his ability to not only be a leader, but a provider for the people. A little while later, another young brave returns, and he had several branches and leaves from various trees and plants that showed that he had a great knowledge of the fruits of the land. And symbol was obvious that these are people of the earth who know the earth, and his type of leadership was to be a true teacher of this reverence and respect for the earth, but also a knowledge of survival for his people. The last person to return was a young brave who finally came back empty-handed. And everyone wondering what he was prepared to offer, he came forward, stood before all the people, and said that he had spent his time climbing the very summit of the mountain of the Great Spirit. And there he stood for the longest time, looking down upon the plain where his people were settled. He looked in the far distance to the one side where his grandfather had taught him about the many stories of the history of the tribe and where they had come from that distant time and land and where they now were settled and what they were struggling with as a people and their own identity. But more than that, as he stood there and reflecting upon what lied before him, he looked to the horizon, to the other side, to see what his people could yet become and where he felt the Spirit was calling them to grow. And he said he returns with this gift of vision. And of course, that was the gift that's most needed by any leader or any people still to this day. This is what we need to have for ourselves. With that story in mind, we could now appreciate why Jesus, as the greatest leader of his people, would want to take a few potential leaders, Peter, James, and John, and take them up the great mountain where he and they would see a tremendous vision of who he was and who and what they were called to be too. So think of this in terms of vision quest. Or think of it in terms of what we might call a retreat. 
when we go away in order to see what we need to be. So that, in the best sense, a retreat, though it seems like a step back, is the only way to step ahead. And it's what Christ constantly calls us to do, to step aside, to step back a moment, that we could see what our life is to be about. And you know, and I know, that one of the most common problems we encounter is we lose sight of what's really important in our life. Amen. One leader, I think, who really offered that kind of vision for us was Bobby Kennedy, who said once, and you would remember these words, some men see things as they are and ask why. Others see things that are not and ask why not. Or I think it is some men see things that could be and ask why not. And that's what we want to keep recapturing is this vision. And we're on this kind of quest that Jesus is leading his apostles to this mountaintop experience. Now, what happens on the top of the mountain is this powerful religious experience. And when anyone tries to describe a religious experience, and you've, I'm sure, had some religious experiences in your lives, it's very difficult. And so we rely sometimes on symbols and metaphors to try to describe the indescribable. And so, what we're going to see on this mountaintop are some rich symbols that try to get at this vision of who God is and what God was revealing to Jesus and to his disciples. And it begins, as we've seen, in climbing a mountain, suggesting that one doesn't easily dispose oneself to this kind of experience. It's just like it would take us a little bit of trouble to make time in our schedule to make a retreat, right? to have this kind of insight given to you. So there's always some trouble and time that's required to dispose ourselves to this vision quest. And then as we see them reaching the mountain, keep in mind the mountain is a place of revelation in the scriptures. Mountain is always a place where earth meets heaven and God meets with humans. And there at the top of the mountain, we see almost immediately this tremendous light surrounding Jesus. Now, keep in mind that this transfiguration will be, in effect, a sneak preview of coming attractions, which is the great resurrection of Jesus, when that light overcomes all darkness and death, which is the importance of having this foresight of faith right now, that Jesus wants to reveal to them, just as Jesus wants to show us time and again, he's with us, he's with us, he's working with us, to show us, okay, we can place our hope as we continue the struggle. And so this light surrounds Jesus, this brilliant light, that's unlike any light of anything on earth, brighter than the sun, representing, obviously, God himself and God's glory. And it's interesting to me, because I've heard a few people talk about their near-death experience. And many of you are familiar with these reports of people whose spirit has left their body. They almost always talk about this light that's brighter than any light of the sun we could ever see. More beautiful and glorious, a light that suggests the warmth and a love that's emanating from this energy source that's indescribable in human terms. This is the light that's exuding from Christ himself, who's the Son of God. And his robes become as bright as light, whiter than any bleach could make them. Remember, clothes in the scriptures often speak of 
the person and what they represent. So that they see that Jesus is the light of the world. And in, in his reflection, we have the light that we need to follow in our life. And then there appears on either side of him, Moses and Elijah. Well, of course, you would recall that Moses and Elijah both had a mountaintop experience themselves. In fact, on the same mountain with Moses, Mount Sinai, with Elijah, it's called Mount Horeb, which is another name for Sinai. Moses experienced God and received the covenant of the Lord, the Ten Commandments. Elijah, remember, had that powerful but subtle experience of the Spirit, like a soft breeze that blew by. The breath of the Spirit came upon him, and he recognized the presence of God. And that was a wonderful religious experience that enabled him and empowered him to be a prophet, as was for Moses to be the lawgiver and teacher and leader of his people. That's why I'm saying it's so important for us who are interested in any kind of leadership or ministry that we dispose ourselves to this vision quest that what God wants to reveal to us so that we could then lead the people. Because if you don't have any vision, where are you going to lead them except around in circles? And I think that's probably a problem sometimes in our church and certainly in our government today. We don't have any vision. I mean, where are we going? So many times we're just caught up in survival. But we've got to have more sight than that. And then, obviously, as Jesus stands before these great figures of the Old Testament, the two greatest figures, perhaps, we see that Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament. And this is what Matthew wants to reveal as a light to the nation of Israel. Jesus has come to fulfill both the law and the prophets personified in Moses and Elijah. And then we see this cloud overcome again. Now think in terms of symbol. You know, we don't know if it's literally a cloud, but that isn't important. What is important is that it was the cloud, remember, that led Israel through the desert. And it was the cloud that often in a matter of speaking, reveals the presence of God in a certain elusive way, like a cloud forms. And from the cloud comes the voice that says exactly what was heard from the heavens upon Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. This is my beloved Son. My favor rests on him. Listen to him. Now, I'd like to think that that is the kernel of the gospel that we all need to hear time and time again. And oftentimes when we're confused or down or feeling so betrayed or hurt or wondering what it's all about, there will be that soft but clear voice Spirit speaks in us. I love you. I'm with you. Now, I always want to hear more. You know, <laughs> like, is this all there is? And it's almost like God said, this is all you need to know now. Because if you know this, then you know that I will walk with you. And that's what Israel had to put their trust in, in that pillar of cloud that led them by day, as well as a pillar of fire by night. And that's what the disciples now, Peter, James, and John, had to put their trust in, that God was revealed in Jesus. And as long as they stayed with Jesus, then he would lead them to eternal life. Now, when you have that kind of experience, and you've had experiences like that of just have touched you and are so exhilarating and exciting, you just want to stay there. You just want to stay there forever. And and the thing is, you can't. And then Peter said, Lord, let us build three booths here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
the funny thing I experienced when I traveled to Israel and climbed Mount Tabor, which is the traditional place where this transfiguration happened, the first thing you see once you reach the top of the hill is this huge sign that says, no tents and no camping allowed. <laughs> and it's just a way of saying to me, we know you just can't stay on the mountaintop. That isn't what it's about. You need to be there. You need to visit the place. Would that I could live in the monastery. Life would be so easy, I think. Uh, of course, if I lived there, I'm sure I wouldn't think that. But we don't have these experiences to escape reality. We have these experiences to send us back into reality, back into our family, back into our community, fired up with a new vision of what it's all about. But it, we can't stay there. The disciples fall down symbolizing they're just overwhelmed by this experience. They fall down in worship, for they realize this is a holy moment, and they stand on holy ground, just as any place where we recognize the presence of God is holy ground, and we, like Moses, can take off our shoes, can reverence the place and the people with whom reveals so much of God to us. You might ask, where is that holy ground for you? Who are those holy people for you? What is that holy place or activity for you? That you could go there like Jesus went to Mount Tabor. And then Jesus comes to his disciples and lays his hand on them, suggesting almost something like a conferral of his spirit, something of a blessing, something of a, almost praying that you would never forget what you heard here. You can almost sense that. And I think so oftentimes that's what we need to pray for ourselves when we're in a, a moment that is so revelatory, so revealing so much. We need to pray, Lord, let me not forget what I saw here, what I heard here, what happened here. And that leads us into what I'd like to suggest then is what would be the application of this wonderful story. I believe, as I said on the outset, that Jesus wants to call all of us to this type of mountain experience time to time. Not that we could live on those rocky mountain highs, but in fact, I guess most of our life is spent in the valley or the plain where we go through life. But time to time, we need to retreat and come to those moments. But they can't always be planned. We certainly can't manipulate them. Have you ever noticed you can't twist the arm of God? I'll never forget the, the first time I went to Mount Tabor. I said, okay, here I am. Boy, this is great. This is good. I am ready for the most beautiful religious experience of my life. This is where it is. This is where it happened. Okay, God, ready? Lights, action. And nothing happened. And I was really disappointed. And I reminded him that I traveled more than a few thousand miles, spent about a thousand dollars, and I didn't know what I was about to return. At least he could do is a little, you know, special effects. And nothing. And you just know, God's saying, look, Jim, you're not going to manipulate the Spirit. You've got to believe this is pure gift. It isn't something you can do in pow, make it happen. can't manufacture the spiritual work of God. You can only dispose yourself. And uh, all I can say to you is nothing much happened on the top of the mountain. It wasn't exactly a mountaintop experience, except that I saw that all we can do in the spiritual life is to open ourselves up to the gift of God. And that's the whole work of the spiritual life. And 
there's something that came to my mind while I was there. Something that I read many years ago by the American psychologist Abraham Maslow. And he said that there are times in our life that we have particular events or something happens that he would call peak moments. Moments when we understand and see things in, quote, a new light. There are moments that we sometimes have that what, is, what he referred to as aha realization or revelation. That insight or enlightenment that comes that just makes us see ourselves or see someone or see our life in a whole different light that changes things if we really take it to heart. And that Abraham Maslow said we often have these experiences, but the problem is we too often miss them or dismiss them. We miss them because they're often in the ordinary events where you least expect it to happen. You're sitting down one night at dinner and your son or daughter says something and you would never expect anything prophetic to come out of their mouth. Or you're at work and you see someone who's really needy and struggling, and it touches you so deeply, you just start crying and say, what's happening here? But it's breaking open your heart to the mystery of life in the connection of compassion. You know, we pass this by, and we often miss these moments. And what Abraham Maslow helped bring to our awareness, and I, what I realized on top of the mountain is, I you know, want to set this retreat and say, this is going to be the greatest revelation of my life, and I'm ready for the, the big event, you know? And Jesus seems to remind us, look, while you're down there in the valley of life, I'm coming to you. I'm speaking to you all day long. You've got to open your ears and open your eyes to see how I'm with you and listen to him. Again, those words, listen to him. In fact, Abraham Maslow himself later regretted what was already become a popularized version of seeking out peak moments because so many people were trying to seek out these moments like I was on Mount Tabor. And he said he regretted them because we look for the extraordinary and miss the ordinary ways we have these insights. Or I say the ordinary ways God reveals God's self. And so we need to train our eyes to see and train our ears to hear and train our hearts to be open to is the ordinary ways God comes to us. So I'd like to ask the question, where do you see the Lord in your life? In what ways do you listen to the Lord? How often does the Lord speak to you? Through whom or what? How does the Lord speak? Are there such holy places for you that you could go to retreat, to pray, to relax, to be renewed? Is there a type of vision quest that you could periodically take so that you wouldn't lose sight of what your life is all about? Let me conclude with this story you've, I think, heard me say before. But it's something that was an experience I had not been prepared for, and yet it truly changed my life, and in fact, I wouldn't be here right now if this hadn't happened to me. Some time ago, I had an appointment downtown, and most unusual, I was very, very early, <laughs> and because I had these extra minutes, even as much as a half hour, 
I decided to come to this cathedral to spend a few quiet minutes to pray. And as I sat there in the cathedral, I looked up to the Lord, who's pictured in the beautiful mosaic on the far wall of the sanctuary, and almost immediately I felt his presence. I felt the Lord look with love to me. And I don't know how much time passed, but within a short while, I heard this very soft but clear voice say inside of me, Jim, you will be stationed here, and I will use you to help build my church. I remember thinking, like I often think, I should tell you too, I hear all kinds of things in my mind all day long. <laughs> But not like that, not that clear, not that deep down, and not that unusual as that seemed to me to be at the time. And I said, that's strange. First of all, I was very happy at the parish where I was stationed and had intended to spend at least another year there. Secondly, I knew that the only priests who are ever stationed at the cathedral are those who are either sick or retired or, you know, need some special help. And I thought, I don't imagine that they would consider a younger priest like myself in good health to be stationed here. And besides, I don't think I'd, I would ever choose to come here. Nothing against the cathedral. I just wouldn't even think of it because it's not your ordinary assignment. But I couldn't dismiss the fact that that came out of the blue, if you will, or out of the heavens. And I couldn't just dismiss it, but I couldn't understand it either. And I was taken with the thought that maybe the Lord could be calling me to help build his church. After the half hour had quickly passed and I went out to go to my appointment, I immediately returned to St. George where I was stationed. And the first thing I did is, as always, I went to my mailbox, pick up my phone messages, and there was a telephone message from the pastor here at the cathedral to give him a call. And I, I remember saying to myself, oh my, this is too much. And I called him and he said, Jim, our associate pastor here had some heart trouble and the doctor asked him to retire. I heard this very clear voice say inside of me, aha, Jim, listen to the Lord and I will use you to help build my church. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.